Welcome, Temple family and friends. We're so glad to have you joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. This podcast aims to engage our faith community through thoughtful biblical discussions centered on God's Word. Our goal is to explore Scripture together to discover the wisdom it has for our lives. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into God's truths and discussing how they impact our daily living. We're eager to unpack the riches of the Bible with you all, our extended church family. And now, here's Temple Talk. Hey there, Temple family and friends. Tuck here, welcoming you back for another episode of Temple Talk. I've got a very special guest with me this week, so let's dive right in. Unfortunately, Pastor Bennett is out of town and couldn't join us for our recording today, but not to worry, we've got a fantastic episode lined up for you all. So for anyone who missed it, this past weekend was our Celebration Sunday here at Temple with baptisms and communion. It was an incredible time of reflecting on the gospel and celebrating with our brothers and sisters who were baptized, showing their faith in God and his promises. And along with each of those who were baptized, they shared their testimonies. You know, testimonies are such a powerful thing. Every Christian has one, and yet they are all so unique and incredibly powerful. They show how God has moved individually in someone's life to bring about a change from worldly to godly, from sin to righteousness. And for that reason, scattered among our regular sermon-based episodes, we wanted to take some time every once in a while and highlight testimonies of some of those in our church here at Temple, from our members to our deacons and our staff. So for this week's episode, I wanted to kick off our testimony episodes. And who better to discuss that with than someone who is very special in my life, who I respect so deeply in her walk with Jesus, my incredible wife, Chelsea. Chelsea, it is such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah. So I am thrilled to have Chelsea here with me to share her story of faith and offer perspective on following Jesus wholeheartedly. She has been such a role model to me of loving God, loving people, and shining light in the darkness. Uh, She is truly an example of someone who is real with self, real with God, and real with others. So, Chelsea, obviously, I know some of your history, but for our third chair, the people listening, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that. I feel I feel the same way about you, and it's so kind to hear you uh, just talk about me that way. So, um, a little bit about me, if you don't know who I am, um, or <laughs> if you haven't met me uh, at Temple yet. I was uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, and I spent 27 years, so I have a legit Valley Girl accent, through and through. And so I apologize as that will probably come out. Um, I was raised in a quasi-religious home um, in which I was exposed to a lot of diverse beliefs. And I learned to blend in, essentially, um, often without fully understanding my faith and what that looked like. Um, I was really good at giving the cookie cutter answers. And just repeating prayers that Mm -hmm. I heard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so uh, that worked for a while, you know, made me popular within these circles. Um, But when I went to college, it brought a ton of challenges and situations that I was not prepared for. And uh, those challenges and those situations, they pushed me towards a lot of unhealthy escapes. And so my story has a lot of drugs alcohol and some self-harm during that time as well. But um, thankfully, I was plugged in at a church at that time, and I was plugged in at a small group, and they genuinely saw me. Um, I remember just the leaders of my small group offering to sit with me an entire night so I wasn't alone. 
And it wasn't with judgment and it wasn't with anger or anything. They just saw me where I was and wanted to sit with me and be with me in that moment. And um, they helped me through some of my toughest times. And it just really helped me to embrace this model that you already mentioned of being real with self, real with others, and real with God. I saw it being lived out at the church that I was a part of at the time in California, my home church. And I saw it with my friends and in my small group. And so I wanted to engage in that as well. I thought if I could be transparent and just real, really embrace that, like how much would my life change? And so um, from kind of that point on, I began just truly engaging with the Bible and prayer. I've been seeking to try to genuinely understand what I'm reading, what I'm hearing, and to practice over any rehearsed responses. And so sometimes they come out not the most beautiful or the most eloquent, um, but I try to show up. And so over the past nine years, I've striven to be a committed Christian. Um, and for the last four, I have been deepening my faith alongside you, my husband, <laughs> as well. So, yeah. Yeah, your, your story sounds <laughs> a lot like mine. Um, I grew up in the most conservative, strict, Christian-based religion that I know of. Um, we were taught that we were the only ones who knew and or followed the true truth. Um, we didn't do instrumental music. There was no clapping in church. We did not do any religious holidays. We were the religion of defining ourselves based on what we didn't do instead of what we did do. And really and honestly, it was a fear-based religion. We were afraid of sinning. We were afraid of losing our salvation. Um, and, and it really holds you back from doing anything because we're worried about doing the wrong thing or, or not doing something correctly. Um, and it wasn't until I was nearly 30 after a painful divorce that I really reevaluated my life. Um, I read the Bible for myself instead of through the lens of what I had been taught for so many years. And what I found in scriptures was a loving God who wanted the best for me not someone who is trying to trip me up on a technicality or just waiting around the corner to trip me up. Um, I saw a God who wanted me to surround myself with people who loved me and wanted the best for me. And it was a long road to deprogram myself from what I had been taught. Um, naively, I tried to bring some of the ideas into my church at the time, and I was asked to leave um, because they did not line up with what they taught. Um, and it really began my journey to find a church that believed in love and compassion instead of strictness and bigotry. Um, and during all of that, I met you. And you <laughs> helped me a lot in that process. Um, and you were very patient while I worked out a lot of that in my head and my heart and trying to figure out where I was supposed to be um, and what, what my life was supposed to look like. So... As we're moving through, um, a few questions for you to get a little bit deeper. Um, what ultimately led you to put your faith in Christ? Was it like a defining moment or was it more of a gradual process? <laughs> so this isn't going to surprise you because you know me really well. <laughs> I am always two things. <laughs> mm -hmm. I am always yes and no. And so I wrote both 
when you gave me this question and I was thinking about it. Um, I think it was both, honestly. I think it was a gradual process that had defining moments. Mm -hmm. And so when I look back over kind of my life and as I was thinking about this, I see that very gradual process like taking place. I can think about the exposure that I had in my home, like with my mom reading the Bible. And I can think about VBS and going to Christian schools and doing camp and singing songs. And I see like people that stand out that I remember that I think planted seeds and definitely like gave me truth and gave me information and was kind of helping me eventually meet Jesus fully on my own. For that like defining moment, um, there are huge defining moments that I can think of. Moments where um, when I, I did YWAM for a period of time and I remember feeling so lonely during that process because I didn't know who God was. And I thought if I did a mission trip, I would finally meet God. <laughs> um, and that is true in a sense, uh, but I don't recommend doing it that way. Um, but I remember just being on the ground, crying out, saying the words, I'm lost. And like, where is my family? And who do I belong to? And why am I so lost and just feeling so empty and like getting glimpses of God in that moment? And then um, my small group that I mentioned already, um, when they surrounded me without judgment and just pure love, like when I think of them and their faces in what I was going through, like that's God's love and his compassion and his grace. And I saw parts of God there. Like that was a defining moment. And so I think it's both, <laughs> if that makes sense mm -hmm. and if that kind of follows. So yeah, that's that's kind of mine, Absolutely. my defining moments. How about you? What are some of yours? <laughs> I, it's very similar for me yeah. as well, because growing up in, in the environment that I did, I knew so many biblical facts. Um, I can tell you pretty much anything that happens in the Bible. Um, but when I came to Temple, I actually remember, I think it was within the first month, meeting with Bennett and talking through and saying, I have the biblical knowledge, but I don't feel God all the time. What's What am I missing here? Uh, and he called it the 12-inch problem, which was the difference between your head and your heart. And he said, you have the knowledge, but you don't see God for who he really is. Um, I can quote all facts about God, um, but when I'm asked, uh, how does he work in my life? I didn't always have that answer. And so it was really something that I had been developing for the last few years since we had met of trying to transition from a head knowledge, factual knowledge, into how does that apply to my life? How do I see God working? How do I pray, kind of like you mentioned, these prayers that are not just wrote and memorized mm -hmm. in the same every time um, to where I'm actually having conversations with God? And those are things that I know we're still working on. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, I mentioned last time we read a book about how to pray the Bible, and it's been helping a lot as yeah. far as having conversations instead of just rote memorization. But I've got a lot of rote memorization and uh, I'm still working on mm -hmm. how to turn things into a, a spiritual thing. So you mentioned going on a mission trip. Um, mm -hmm. How do you see 
uh, your spiritual gifts and, and how does that apply to the things that you've been doing in the last few years? Ooh, yeah. Um, so spiritual gifts. I am empathetic through and through. Like <laughs> I have uh, the Sometimes most, to a fault. Yes, to a fault. Um, I have a very empathetic heart. I deeply care for and I love people and I am driven to show up and support people in their crucial and toughest moments. When I see something happening, I want to be there. Um, I also love hearing people's stories um, and I love just getting to know people. And so I'm an avid listener and um, I always aim to offer grace and treat everyone without judgment. Um, I have a very... Uh, you and I have talked about this a lot. I think we share this, but I hold the belief that we should be defined not by our weakest moments, but how we embrace second chances and how we show up. And so <laughs> uh, that's a big portion of my story. And um, it's a big portion of what I think I've been gifted with is just giving people those spaces for second chances and showing up. And so how that relates to kind of what I do um, I have done a couple of mission trips. I did YWAM. Um, I also have led mission trips uh, through the college I worked at prior to coming here. It was a Christian college, and we uh, did international service projects. So I've done a couple of those. They were wonderful experiences. I hope, um, God willing, that it's in our future for our family to do some of those mm -hmm. um, at some point. I would love that. Um, but... Other than that, I know that we try to serve in the community uh, right now locally. And then I work at Craven Community College. Shout out Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <I'm> um, <laughs> so, but I, uh, back to professional, I work at the college and um, <laughs> I, it's really great because I get to partner with students and kind of work with them during some of their crucial and their toughest times. And so I think it kind of goes, uh, my spiritual gifting is also teaching. Yeah. Well, I think that's great because um, you and I are very opposite in the fact that for many, many years, I would say I hate people. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> deal with people. Um, I am a math and science person and I want things to be equations and people are messy um, they're emotional and I just don't understand it. And then you um, married the most messy and <laughs> emotional person you could find. <laughs> I did. And I love it. Um, and you've been, you've been teaching me a lot of things in a good way, um, to where, um, people are still not my strong point, but, um, I have found in the last few years and especially since coming to temple, so many wonderful people, um, that, we've been learning to share our lives with. Um, and I think that was maybe part of the issue is that I didn't have the right people in my life um, before. And we have a lot more of good people in our lives. So speaking of people, um, talk to me about some of your spiritual role models. Who are the people that you look up to? Mm. So um, I also was very thankful that you provided this earlier. I spent a lot of time thinking about this today, um, who would fill, like, fill my spiritual role models. Um, first and foremost, I put you, um, <laughs> <Thank> you. my <laughs> sweet husband. Um, Flattery will get you nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but in all honesty, like, 
Um, this has been really fun kind of hearing more of your side and just being able to discuss with you um, just things of our testimony. I know we've talked about our journeys, but this is very like in depth that we are going into <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and I just am amazed by your journey and what I've seen you over going on five years now, the last five years, just changing uh, your faith and wrestling with God and um, having transparent conversations. So, um, yeah, you are definitely a role model to me and to our household, um, and I'm thankful for what you provide. There are a lot of people that came to mind from Temple, and um, I don't want to, like, name drop. <laughs> <laughs> or more importantly, miss someone. <laughs> yes, or, like, miss someone. Um, but yeah, I wrote a lot of people down from Temple. So Temple, you are full of spiritual role models, um, on staff and just members, deacons. I mean, it's across the board. Um, we have just been loved on and blown away by the families and the people at Temple. And a lot of you I look up to, um, immensely, immensely, goodness gracious, um, I went to Sandals Church, as you know, that was my home church back in California. And so uh, Matt Brown is the pastor of Sandals Church. Um, real with self, real with God, and real with others is their slogan. <laughs> so I don't know if we need to trademark that when we mentioned it <laughs> earlier. <laughs> um, and so all credit to Matt Brown. Um, that made a defining um, impact on my life and my spiritual. And then I just kind of thought about um, people that I read a lot of and that I search out their biblical wisdom. And so um, I really enjoy Louis Giglio, Lisa Turkhurst, uh, Donald Whitney, who you guys mentioned, John Mark uh, Comer, Rob Bell, and Dr. Kimberly Moore. So those are some people that I search out and listen to uh, that I view as spiritual role models. Yeah. How about you? Um, I would say quite a few of those are on my list as well. Um, with Matt Brown. I know we listened to his sermons for a long time when we were trying to figure out where we needed to be, and we hadn't found a church yet, and we kind of listened to his his sermons. A lot of the uh, authors that you mentioned, we've been reading together. Um, I would say one extra one that's especially on my list is Michael Heiser. I love his books. He's done uh, The Spiritual Realm, um, and quite a few other books that I've really delved into that have kind of changed my perspective on the God of the Bible. And I really enjoyed his podcast, uh, The Naked Bible Podcast, um, where he really just kind of dove down into the Bible and said, let's, let's view it without filters as much as possible. Um, and I got a lot out of his Leviticus study, which I never thought that I would say, <laughs> but was very interesting. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. So I want to talk through um, kind of one more thing that I think will turn into a little bit bigger of a conversation. Um, but what lessons has God taught you over the years? Yeah. So I, I've really been thinking about this lately. Um, and I think you knew this because we've been kind of discussing it a little bit, but in not great detail. It's almost like I picked this question up. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, as people that know, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, but we have gone through a lot 
um, with my health and our family just recently. And um, through all of that, I have been really kind of focusing on what is God teaching me and like, how do I see his faithfulness? And I kind of broke it down in a couple of things and I would love to get your take on it because this is going to be our first time really discussing this in detail. Um, And so I broke them down into categories and just where I see it in the Bible. So um, first and foremost, um, one of the lessons that I believe God has taught me is um, patience and priorities. And um, And I will say one of the things that I heard years ago that has stuck with me so much is be careful what you pray for. (laughs) And they say, (laughs) because when you pray for patience, Hmm. God doesn't just give you patience. He gives you ways to practice patience, which means that you will be irritated (laughs) and you have to choose. Yes. Patience. Yes. And it's it's tough. So how did uh, how did you learn patience recently? Yeah. <laughs> so I um I've kind of done that. I've been praying a lot about priorities. And I know you and I have discussed that for quite some time, um, especially around like our kids and faith of what our priorities are mm-hmm. and trying to figure that out. Um but I recently uh, became very ill, as quite a few people uh, know. Um when all said was done, I had bilateral pneumonia another infection and it had spread to my bloodstream. Thankfully, I'm okay. um, But I was in the hospital for five days. And um, during that hospitalization, uh, Bennett came to visit me on the second day while I was there. And uh, he prayed over me. And he prayed over me for two things. Uh, The first was the current situation just surrounding my health and our family. Um, So wisdom for the doctors, healing, you guys being okay, which was my hugest concern. And that I press into this time, this hospitalization, to really just focus on God and to lean on him. And I heard that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is not a common thing for me. And that's exactly what I did. for the five days that I was in the hospital, um, I spent my collective time primarily reading, reading my Bible, reading other books, listening to audiobooks, praying and journaling. And um, I spoke with a lot of the nurses and just really connected with people. And I think all in all, I actually worked a total of about 30 minutes on your job, <laughs> on yeah. my actual job. Um which, if you know me personally, is a shockingly low number because I am a workaholic. Um, but I am I'm so grateful. Um, and I'm so grateful that Bennett prayed that like prayer just over me, that I heard it, and that I dove into it. Um, I saw God in new ways and through new perspectives. And one of that is um, it was really scary. And you and I haven't really talked about this. Um, I have sugarcoated it, and I've made a lot of jokes to try and mask um, how scary that illness was. Um, And when I'm silent and I'm alone and I'm praying, I realize um, just how lucky I am, (laughs) how blessed that uh, you forced me, Tuck, to go to the <laughs> ER. Um, you probably saved my life, honestly, with that. Um, and 
I really, the whole time that I was in the hospital, I was looking through my journal today. Um, and I have written on so many pages, um, it's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise because uh, y'all sang that worship song uh, that Sunday <laughs> right before I went into the hospital. And so it was just in my mind. Um, and I really felt the weight of those lyrics. And during like the oxygen and the breathing treatments, I would just be repeating that and like praying it and meditating it. And just, um, I really have a new perspective on what that means. Um, it's very humbling when your lungs don't work right. <laughs> um, yeah, I tried to stay strong for you and the kids um, and keep a calm demeanor. Um, but I was I was scared as well. And I remember that that last day finally begging you after a couple days where you had not been able to sleep and you were wheezing. Um, just saying this, you know, if it turns out to be nothing that's on me, let's just go get it checked out. Um, and uh, we were up until about four o'clock in the morning yeah. um, at the at the ER and them finally saying, oh, no, this is this is pretty s scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've just been focused on on that and um, just the thankfulness surrounding it. And then it kind of just went into patience as well as I was thinking about that, like my priorities of needing to focus on God and then having patience. And um, I realized that one of the most difficult times to trust God is when we feel like our resources or um, something about our life is slipping away. And it is when we are faced with these difficult decisions um, that we don't want to let impatience drive us to do something that is not in agreement with God's word. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that I am a very impatient person. <laughs> um, and I really focused on my priorities. And then I started to examine kind of my timeline and where my mindset was. Um, because the first day in the hospital, all I could think about was the fact that I was going to miss work and oh my gosh, and the kids, and we have this, and it was just this task list of how I felt like I was failing in so many ways. Um, and I think I realized during just this quiet time is that God tells a lot of us a lot of the time just to slow down mm -hmm. and be present, stop moving so fast, sit in my words, sit with each other, be in these moments and I think society, obviously, um, and primarily the American dream, tells us to hustle and to move as quickly as possible. And we wrap up our identities in just busyness. And it's almost like a symbol of pride to talk about how tired and how busy and how over-caffeinated we are. Mm -hmm. um, and just sitting in the hospital, I realized I don't want that to be my identity. Like, I don't. I don't want to look back over my life or however long I have um, and just think, oh, I just was busy all the time and just drinking coffee. I want to look back and see my identity wrapped up in God and the things that he has for us. And so I really started to journal out what I think my life would look like if I really handed it over to God. And um, I've been really focusing on making those my priorities um, since kind of coming back from the hospital. And um, I've been trying to go a lot slower. And honestly, I think only you would be able to tell me if I'm doing a little bit better with that. But um, I've been trying to put in more boundaries and make more time for 
things that God has mm-hmm. versus the things that God doesn't have for me. Yeah, I had thought about that. Um, I think about it a lot, and I haven't been able to implement it. But, um, you know, America is one of the only places where if someone says, what do you do, we answer with our job. Mm-hmm. In, in other cultures, um, they answer with their hobbies or what they're interested in. Um, and I think if we look in the Bible, Paul would probably answer with, I'm a Christian, and go from there. And I, I think about that on a regular basis of I wish that I had a different answer than a banking software programmer person. Um, and I try and answer a little bit more of I'm a father of two and a mm-hmm. you know, family person and this is what I'm interested in. Um, but it's hard because then the person stares at you and says, yeah, but what's your job? What's your job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm trying to implement that kind of a thing of, you know, we are more than what we do for a career. Mm-hmm. Kind of going off that, like I said, it was levels, this belt of levels. Um, the next lesson that I really think that I've learned throughout the years and I still am constantly learning is the idea of like God is greater than my highs and lows. And mine is very much anxiety and fear based. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a scared chihuahua who needs a thunder jacket at all times. And so um, <laughs> when I, I mean, I have severe anxiety and when it comes to the idea of what do you do when life caves in, mm-hmm. um, honestly, I mean, prior to, I mean, God and just faith, I, I turned, I turned to everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I ran and I heard recently the idea that fear, um, fear is false expectations appearing real. Um, And it has just really hit me. And I've been looking over just so much of my life and the fear that I have and the anxiety. And there's a lot to unprocess. And um, I know you and I have individually talked about it um, and like our stories and where that falls. But I see like how much that is not of God now and just how much as I dive into reading more and journaling more, Um, how much God is greater than all of this. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things I've been really focusing is um, on remembering two women of the Bible. And so I've been focusing on Ruth and Hannah. And so um, with the idea of remembering Ruth, um, her story shows that the self was last and God and others were first. And it's, I mean, it's that great idea of it's hard to throw stones when you're washing feet. Um, when everybody else is, you know, coming before you and you are serving like Jesus, how much more are you like Jesus? You know, like if we focus, <laughs> how that works. yeah, right. I mean, like if we focus on the good and of God, how much less of this like fear and this anxiety. And so, um, Thinking about this, uh, Ruth was following a simple prescription for success. Um, She acts on God's word. She doesn't neglect those who she loves. She uses common sense, and she moves ahead with humble resolve in her story. And I've been trying to apply that um, as I look at things that I'm afraid of, of just kind of, okay, what does God's word say? Am I acting for someone that I love? Am I using common sense? And 
can I move forward with humble resolve, essentially. So with this, um, I also have been really thinking about there is no wiser counselor than he who knows every moment of every tomorrow and knows how you will fit into those moments. And um, the one that hit me a lot in the hospital as I was reading through First and Second Samuel, I've been really loving going through the Old Testament right now. Um, and I was reading First um, Samuel 1 through 3, and it's uh, the story of Hannah. And what stood out is Hannah didn't know what God had in store for her, like at all. Um, But all she could see was what she didn't have and what she couldn't do. Um, And I think there's so much uh, that we can relate with Hannah. I see that in my life constantly, the things that I can't do and that I don't have and I focus on it. And I think social media adds to that Mm -hmm. on such an extreme. And we see in Hannah's story that this put her in a bad mental and emotional place, like it would absolutely anybody. And um, I love that idea of um, when we're trying to be super versus being slacker, um, a halo only has just a few inches to fall before it becomes a noose. And so you can only be so perfect for so long. And so what does Hannah do when she finally just kind of breaks? She goes to the temple and she just pours out her soul to God. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much so that the priest thinks she's drunk. (laughs) I mean, he's like, go home. (laughs) You are crazy. Um, And it's just such a beautiful idea. She's just pouring her soul out, just crying, just taking all of this to God. And um, I think the problem, and I struggle with this, is that um, we tend to pour out our souls to other people. I am a venter. You know that. I vent to you, and I will call other people, and I will just vent. And we hope that these people will give us answers when all that they can really do is just offer us their opinions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I've learned that we just need to take our struggle to the one that has the power to actually answer prayers and to essentially solve our problems. And so instead of holding on to these things that I can't change and internalizing them, um, which just leads to stress and depression and anxiety, I have found that I can free myself if I just take this to God and just pour out my soul, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, And I've just... Since returning from the hospital, I have found myself doing this a lot more. Even just a couple of days ago, um, I mentioned I was having a really bad panic attack while we were um, getting our kids ready for bed. And um, you took the kids. You were very kind. And I went into our bedroom to try and calm down. And um, I put on worship music, and I just fell like to my knees in our bathroom. And just next to our shower in this tiny space between our toilet and our shower, I was just crying and just praying and just um, repeating over, like just repeating over and over again of I'm going to get through this. So help me, God, like help me, help me. Like, what is this? I know this isn't of you. Um, And just speaking out against that, knowing that he is bigger Um, And he wants goodness for my life. Mm -hmm. And that panic and that fear isn't goodness. And so that can't be of him. Um, 
And it didn't make it go away, like right away. Obviously, I wish it was like that, um, that I immediately snapped out of it. And I walked out and I joined bedtime routine with our kids again. I think it was probably 30 to 45 minutes of me just crying. Um, but man, it was so it was so needed. I felt I felt peace and I felt love. And then I just also saw so much like God revealed so much of where some of that anxiety was coming from and things that I needed to take to him and just process. And um, yeah, <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought there. That's but like right. it. Um, yeah. Anxiety priorities. <laughs> God is bigger than that. Pray. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that, um, you know, sounded like the beginning of my life where you were saying, you know, if, if you just you put it on yourself to do the right things and have the right answers. And, and that idea that, that you can only be perfect for so long before you fail. And that was my entire life is that we were, we were taught you had to be perfect to the point where, and you had, you had seen this with the, the church that I attended for a little while is that when you can't be perfect, but you're expected to be perfect, there is a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, you hide things instead of being open and honest where people can speak into your life when you have those difficulties you shove that down and you hide mm -hmm. it uh, and you pretend that everything is okay so that you can still be a good christian mm -hmm. and we ran into a lot of issues where you know you saw that someone was showing signs of alcoholism and they were putting on the front so that nobody would know and I, what was it that somebody had said that they couldn't be what was that? <laughs> um, I mentioned it, and they said uh, they couldn't be because he was of this denomination, and those are good Christian boys. Good, he was a good Christian boy, so he couldn't be, obviously couldn't be struggling with alcohol. And we found out a month later that he was, he was in rough times. Um, and they eventually kind of helped a little bit, but there was such a big stigma around it and and all of that um, that that's what we kind of saw time and time again is it took a lot for someone to say something. And by the time they finally did, they were almost too far gone to be helped. And we kind of saw that time and time again, whether it was alcoholism or um, adultery. And <laughs> we saw these things um, and people were not reaching out for help early because mm -hmm. then they would be looked down on. And that's what I grew up in. I was worried. I was fearful of being who I was and, and dealing with issues. And instead of getting help early and reaching out to someone and having that, um, you feel alone. And so I very much feel what you're talking about as far as praying, being honest with mm -hmm. people, um, you know, having that, that person that you can go to invent, but then yes. taking it to God as well. Yeah. Um, something that I read recently that really stuck with me is um, safety, uh, safety doesn't begin with others. It's when our most honest opinion about ourselves is the most honoring opinion about ourselves. And um, Lisa Tur Turkis said that to give her credit. Um, but she... I mean, she broke it down of like, we need to remember who God says we are mm -hmm. and what God has for us. 
And I've been really just reflecting on that because um, similar to what you mentioned of like pretending to be perfect or kind of masking or even just fear and anxiety, I think all of those create a vicious cycle. And we start to feed even just ourselves these lies of, you know, I mean, the enemy of what the devil is saying is that we're not good enough mm -hmm. or, you know, everyone can see through your mask or if you, you know, if you break, they're all going to leave you or just whatever that thing may be. And I think we just build this opinion of ourselves that we're just horrible, vile creatures that if anyone were to see the true us, they would hate us. Um, and it just, I think when we realize and we put ourselves in God's shoes, that his opinion of us would be something of honor and beauty of creation that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's the difference <laughs> of who we identify as. Do yes. we identify as a sinner mm -hmm. or do we identify as a child of God who has been saved? Yeah. And and yes, we do sin, mm -hmm. but the view of those two things are completely opposite as to how do we define who we are at our core? Is it Are we defining ourselves mm -hmm. by our sin, which is easy to do when we see it mm -hmm. every day, or do we define ourselves as a redeemed child of God by someone who wants the best for us and sees the best in us. Mm -hmm. Do we see that in ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so that was kind of my anxiety lesson. <laughs> um, and going just into that, again, like I said, it built, um, I see his faithfulness through God's track record. And so um, I've been really meditating on this idea of trust in God's track record. And um, I did this back in September um, in my journal, which I have in front of us <laughs> um, for our third chair. I wish I could show this to you. Um, I was never a journaler um, until recently, and I have gone a little crazy, as my husband um, and Tony can see right now. Um, but back in September, I took some time to just really pray and think and remember and list out how God has blessed me. And um, it was a task in a book that I was working through to do this. And I, I will be honest, I remember this taking me a couple of days to do um, just because I was in bad moods and it wasn't always the easiest to focus on gratefulness. Mm -hmm. Um but when all is said and done, I have 11 things on this list that I wrote through. Um, and I continuously have gone back. There's a post-it note. Um, and I keep going back and looking at this. When I was in the hospital, I went back and I looked at this list. And I keep praying over these things and just focusing on the, the goodness of what God has given and his track record. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll, I'll share just some of it. Um, but Tuck mentioned, um, you know, we've been married now going on five years in November. Um, and I will tell you, I, I never thought that you were a possibility in my life. Um, Tuck, as you know, I never thought our marriage was something. I remember 
nights that I begged God um, to send me my husband, <laughs> like just praying that like, is this even a possibility? I remember nights of crying about would children ever be a possibility? Would I ever find a home? Would I ever have such and such? Like just begging God. Um, and it wasn't answered right away um, in no way. And it took years. I mean, mm. six, seven, eight years <laughs> before you even uh, came into my life. Um, but you were one of, I mean, you were the first thing. Um, God has blessed me with you, with my husband, with our marriage. And the second is our children. Um, and the third is Temple Church, our small group and our community and the people who have become our family, mm -hmm. um, our chosen family. Um, you guys made the top three. <laughs> and um, again, when I look back at some of my early 20s, like my wildest dreams would have never imagined the life that God had in store. And I'm so thankful to have this, to look back and to, and the other things. I know I didn't read all 11, um, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just really grateful for that. So anyways, trust in his track record. <laughs> we talked about prayer journals previously on the podcast a couple episodes ago. Um, and we've mentioned it several times in our small group. Um, but the ability to see prayers that have been answered is so powerful because it's so easy to forget the answered prayers because mm -hmm. they kind of drop off of our list of things to pray for once they're taken care of. Um, but to look back and to be able to see God's track record like you were mentioning in our life shows that God has our best interest in mind, even if it doesn't feel like it at the time. And you mentioned that sometimes it takes years mm -hmm. to get an answered prayer, but when you're able to look back at it, you have that hindsight to see why it took that long. I needed mm -hmm. to prepare myself before I could be the husband that you needed. You mm -hmm. needed to prepare yourself before you were ready to find me. Um, but in the midst of it, you're looking at this saying, why can't I find somebody? And, you know, I mentioned that I think on the last episode of I, I was writing down prayers. Yeah to you, not knowing who you were for years, saying, "I, God, I know you know who this person is, but I don't. I'm still praying over her. Um, and it was those years later when we looked back and, and figured out when we talked about where we were during that time <laughs> um, that it wouldn't have worked, but God had something in plan for us. Um, and it, it's that way with so many different things, you know, um, I was married previously and I prayed for children and it just didn't work out. Uh, and looking back, I see God had a plan in place. Um, but while you're going through it, it's hard to, mm -hmm. to deal with those things. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned that having a journal would be nice, especially in these valleys to mm -hmm. like look back over. And this is a new thing for me. Um, highly recommend it. It's been really, really cool. Um, but I haven't had many valleys to kind of like look back over. So I would be interested, Tuck, have you ever struggled with, with or doubted your faith and how do you handle those seasons? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, as I mentioned before, um, I was married previously. Um, it ended very poorly. Um, and at that same time, I was having a crisis of faith 
dealing with my old church as well, realizing that it wasn't what I wanted to be doing um, and who I wanted to be and how I wanted to view God. And um, I had some periods, those valleys, where I was desperately trying to figure out who I needed to be and who God was and if he was still there and, how, you know, is Christianity still the right religion given everything that I've known uh, and been taught about this vindictive God who's watching out for me to, to sin mm. the way that I had grown up. Um, so I separated myself from everything and everyone at that point. Uh, I had lost my family. Um, I lost a lot of my friends. Um, I changed jobs in there. Um, and so very much um, I had that moment where I could make a decision basically to uh, do I follow God um, or do I go and do something else? Um, because everything in that moment was in flux. Um, and that was when I really decided to start studying and figure out if this is what I really believed. Um, and a lot of things changed. And there were a lot of hard times. I remember one time calling into work and letting my boss know, hey, I've had a panic attack. I am just wheezing and crying. Um, and I don't think I can make it in. <laughs> and luckily enough, um, she heard that, didn't hold it against me, and gave me a phone number of somebody I could call. Um to really start working through some things. Um, but that was kind of a wake up moment of a lot of things in my life needs, need to change uh, and figuring out what that needs to look like and, and how to move forwards. Yeah. I think, um, obviously like you and I, in our marriage, um, we recently have gone through something together, um, where it was more on me in a situation, at my job with a student uh, that I was really struggling with kind of old habits and um, just doubting um, quite a bit. And just long story short, um, I know it was, it was difficult. It, it was a student that had some mental health issues and she confided in our family and um, thankfully thankfully we were able to get the student the help that she needed but I've seen that the way that I respond in, in our marriage the way that we respond now when we struggle with faith um, or if we doubt is um, I turn to you first and foremost um, and I, I see you doing the same with me, and we are very transparent with each other. And um, something I have been really grateful in our relationship is that we have also turned to Temple. Um, and we have been very honest with our small group. Um, when we were facing that, we shared it um, in our small group, what we were going through, and we leaned on those relationships. We leaned on... Uh, recovery even. Um, I spoke with some people there uh, since it was triggering some of my um, past things. And we were just really honest. And I think what I saw during that time, and Tuck, I would love to get your insight, but as we've kind of passed that valley now, 
Um, thankfully, <laughs> it has been a good couple of months, um, and those those voices of mental health are quieting. God is starting to take some of those away. Um, I think what I have seen is just, um, for the first time in my life, I have seen God's faithfulness truly lived out at Temple and through our community and our friends here of um, relationships, godly relationships, and vulnerability being honored. Um, and I've thought a lot about why that is the case. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, I've been reading First and Second Samuel quite a bit. I've been studying in that this last bit. And um, I noticed that in First Samuel, um, David and Jonathan's friendship and relationship is discussed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and they become close friends, like at once, like just meeting. <laughs> they are like the best of buds. And their friendship is one of the deepest and closest that's recorded, like in the course of the Bible. And I found that there are a couple of reasons of like why that is. Um, their relationship is based, um, they base their entire friendship on their commitment to God and not just to each other. And so God is the forefront of that. They let absolutely nothing come between them, not even their careers or their family problems. Mm -hmm. um, bless Jonathan for that one. They drew closer together when their friendship was tested. Uh, they chose each other and um, they were able to remain friends to the very end. And um, I thought a lot about that while I was in the hospital of just this friendship. And again, I'm flipping for our third chair. I'm just flipping through my journal right now because um, I haven't even shown Tuck this. But I wrote out a list. Um, and I won't read the names. I won't name drop. But I wrote out a list um, of women, actually, um, from Temple that just came to mind that are these community and these friendships and these women that I feel like I can call and be transparent and honest with. Um, and I it's just, a long list. it's a long list. Um, <laughs> which is amazing because for, for many years, um, you know, it has I like think, no names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just, I mean, I, I wrote and I just, I prayed and I thanked God for just this community of people that he has blessed our family with and um, just these relationships and just praying that we keep these forefront things in these relationships. Um, and I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for them. I know we've mentioned before, yeah. um, you know, you and I both have family issues with, with people in our families. Um, we don't talk to some people on both of our sides. Um, and so we're very firm believers in found family, the people that, you make your family. Um, and some of the people on that list there um, are godparents to our children, mm -hmm. um, are the people that we turn to first before we turn to mm -hmm. our family. Um, there are people in there. I mean, I have, I grew up hearing the term brother and sister so and so um, be used in the church, but I never used it because it didn't feel right. Mm. And for the first time in the last couple of years with the people here, I call people my brothers because mm. I truly believe that they are my family now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and I, I think like looking at these groups um, or like looking at these names, the thing that stood out to me the most um, and kind of going off of what we were discussing of like struggling with faith um, is just that these people, and I think you'd agree, we've been vulnerable with them. Mm-hmm. And relationships need vulnerability, and I think relationships in the church need vulnerability. Um, we need people and places where you can almost just spill out um, without someone feeling obligated to jump in too quickly to fix it or taking it personally. And I think it's important to remember in relationships that we are not called to fix or control each other. Um, We can just simply remind each other of who we are in God. And I think that's what we have found in these relationships that we're talking about. And um, I've been thinking a lot about this and thinking about when we're struggling with faith or doubting faith, what those interactions look like. And um, again, this is from Lisa Turkhurst. If you can't tell, I've been reading a lot of her stuff lately. And um, she discusses of how we could have vulnerable conversations. And I just thought this was so beautiful and just applying this to faith. And I just see it how we try to live this out, you and I, I feel like, and um, how we treat people And I just think if we could adopt this, like how much hurt would be just loved on in the church if we started to really just have these vulnerable moments. And so it's that idea of saying, I'm listening. You can say what you need to say. Number two, you are safe. I will remember who you are in the light of how God created you. Number three, together we will fight the shame that is threatening to bully its way into your mind. Number four, I will not add to your shame. Number five, I will speak truth, but it will always be with the goal of helping you and helping us stay healthy. Number six, I will not reduce you to being the sum total of your struggles. And number seven, I will speak life by reminding you who you really are in Christ his faithfulness and how he loves you. It's beautiful. Like it's powerful. I think what I've just been really blown away by is that idea that we should be creating space for our brothers and sisters in Christ to process things with us, a non-judgmental space. I mentioned earlier that that is something that rocked my faith. Um, is creating that space, helping them to see who they are, that opinion that God has versus the opinion that your sin has and that shame has, Um, partnering alongside to bully that shame away. And then the two things that I find so beautiful in this list is that idea of I will not add to your shame, I will not give more to that, And I will not reduce you to being the sum total of your struggles. And I think as humans, it's so hard (laughs) Um, to do that. But that's what God calls us to do. And I just think if, um, I mean, speaking to myself, if I just applied that more in so many situations, um, how much a better mom, a better wife, a better teacher, a better 
stranger in the supermarket I would be sometimes mm -hmm. to people if I just gave them that space. And we've mentioned it nearly every episode, but this is the power of a good small group, finding the people that you can be open and vulnerable with who can check in on you because they know what's going on in your life and the people that you can be real with and, and opening that door and allowing yourself um, to be vulnerable, to be that person for someone else so that they can reciprocate. And if you're in a small group and there is not that space to do that, if you have not found those people, find another small group because that's what you need to find. And if you can't find another small group, make a small group and and find that because the, the people are out there. God has those people for you. Um, and maybe you just need to break out of the mold break out into somewhere where you're a little less comfortable and go find those people or be that person. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that transitions really well into kind of the last lesson that I really see um, being taught over kind of my life <laughs> is um, flawed people with willing hearts and that's kind of where you and I are at right now. Um, and so, man, I'm really just pushing hard. Everyone, read First and Second Samuel. <laughs> um, but again, I've, I've been walking through that. And um, First Samuel has four biblical giants in it. Um, we can't argue Eli, Samuel, Saul, and David. Um, they're biblical giants. I mean, they're who we quote. They're who we reference. But each of them are varied, flawed people in different ways. Um, the clear message from 1 Samuel is that God uses flawed people to accomplish great things. He uses them despite the fact that they are flawed, and he calls them um, to acknowledge their sins, to humble themselves uh, before him, ask his forgiveness, and submit to his ways. And so these giants, these spiritual giants that we see here, clearly show what God is willing to do with flawed people who have willing hearts. And um, we see that in 1 Samuel, and then we see it into 2 Samuel, <laughs> um, which is really just a biography of a very flawed man who failed many, many, many times. <laughs> um, but he's a man that none of us would label as a failure. And I've been asking myself, why? Like, why would we not view David as a failure when we look at these sins and these flaws that he has? And the answer is that David has his heart for God. I mean, he sincerely tried to serve God and do what was right. And did he fail? Yeah. I mean, he was a murderer and an adulterer. I mean, these are terrible failures mm -hmm. that he has. Um but David was truly repentant and he was truly sorry for his sins and his heart got back in tune with God's. He constantly is recommitting himself. And so the portrait of David that's presented in 2 Samuel is essentially the portrait of a man who is practicing the presence of God. And in his humanness, he slips and he fails but he returns to his mission, which is to love God and to honor him. And 
I think as I've been looking over my life and just these last couple of days and looking at these lessons and looking at God's faithfulness, I realized that I too (laughs) have slipped and I have failed many times. And while I don't share David's particular (laughs) um, sins in this one, I have my own list Mm -hmm. of terrible failures. Um, But I don't believe that God views me as a failure. I believe that God views me as someone that he has a plan for. Um, And so I am a flawed person and I believe that I have a willing heart Um, and I believe you have a willing heart and I think that you and I have really been discussing lately of how we can recommit ourselves to getting in tune with God's heart and I just see as you and I have kind of individually and together in our relationship started to discuss this question the things that have popped up Mm -hmm. (laughs) so individually I see you obviously with like temple talk yeah it, it actually came out of us having those conversations and realizing that it was something that not only should it exist but one of those things that sometimes you need to step up and I guess that I was called to do this um, and I never really saw myself doing this kind of a thing but um, you know you kind of talked me into it and I think it's been a good thing yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> I think it's been great. Um, and I think we also, you and I have each kind of served individually that we have found. And then the last thing, which was kind of put on my heart individually and then ours collectively, is uh, we have started a small group or kind of taken over a small group um, and are creating Temple Young Adults. Mm-hmm. So from that space for for college age young people um, to have that space to be able to do life with people that age. Um, and I know that both you and I both have um, a, a calling towards that age group because people in that age, uh, it, it's tough to go through that age, especially if you don't have good people to be able to speak into your life. So we're hoping to be that for some people and and create a space where that can happen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something that has been on my heart for quite some time. I obviously I mentioned um, I am a English faculty member at the college here and I have been working in higher education pretty much since I graduated from college. I just never really left college. I just kind of stayed. Um, but during that time, I, I have been so amazed each year by what students go through during the college years and during your young adult years. And in all honesty, adulting is hard. Um, It sucks for anybody who is younger. I mean, it just sucks to be an adult. And I think it's so hard when you go to college because there's just so much thrown at you. And you're an adult all of a sudden. And you're kind of left to your own devices. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a firm or strong foundation or a good community, 
it's so easy to be lied to and be manipulated. And I see that in my own story. I wish I would have had a firmer foundation before college. I think a lot of hurt could have been avoided. A lot of things that I went through. Um, but I mean, at the same time, like I own my story and I want to honor it um, and hopefully help other people through it. And so for what my story is, I know the true value of having people to love on you during this time period and to show up and to be real with and to be mentors and to just sit and be honest. And so you and I have talked a lot about it. Um, I kind of got an inkling over summer, like maybe we should do this. Um, and we kind of dipped our toe in it. We offered uh, for students to come over and we just fed them and we had a bonfire mm -hmm. at our house and, um, we played games and we just gave them a space to spend time and be loved on. And I was blown away by these students of mine, these 18 year old kids who were so excited for a home cooked meal and just to be in a house with people <laughs> that, I mean, even you joked, like who wants to hang out with their English professor? Like you guys have nothing <laughs> else going people on. Did, though. Several people. Um, and it was a great night. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just saw God in that. I just saw his heart and the love that he has. And you and I kind of started talking about it. And Temple Young Adults just started to take shape. And I mean, our vision for it, um, I mean, we really nailed it down that we view this as a dynamic small group or community group that aims to offer not, not just spiritual growth, but also real world support mm -hmm. to have a place that um, is a hub where you can engage in candid real talk. You can ask your questions. You can be vulnerable. Um, you and I will share our stories um, in more detail. We'll, we'll sit with you in it. We'll help be bullies against the lies that are crowding in from everywhere and to just benefit hopefully from mentorship um, there are quite a few people from our small group um, that Tuck and I are involved in um, the young and married group the small church that the, it is um, of people that have offered um, to step in as well like there are a lot of people in our small group that are passionate about mm -hmm. this and want to serve as mentors to these kids um, and young adults, excuse me, um, and serve them and give them meals and make desserts and whatever. So there's a big heart for that, that mentorship. We want to participate in community service. Um, I want us to have a presence as young adults in the community to show up at events, even if that's just passing out water or doing a 5K or going to a farmer's market and then having a picnic all together in the park, mm -hmm. um, just to show up in the community, show them who Temple is and who these, these young adults are. I mean, you guys have incredible stories. You have incredible ways that you can be serving your community and just building each other up. Um, again, that idea of you can't throw stones when you're washing feet. Mm -hmm. What a better way than getting together and washing feet 
one Saturday and just living out life. Um, and then just a place to connect with fo- uh, fellow college students and young adults and peers, spend time together. And so um, you and I, uh, Tuck, we've discussed it and um, we just view this as a lineup of activities from bonfire nights to Bible study to beach days to whatever. (laughs) Um, Just meaningful opportunities. We are all about making faith intersect with daily life in the most enriching way. And that's kind of, yeah, our vision for Temple Young Adults. Yeah. So we invite you to join us. We're, uh, We're meeting on Thursdays. Uh, we are on the website, temple.church. Mm-hmm. Feel free to reach out. Um, we'll get you connected with some some other young adults. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much um, for chatting with us, for being real, for being honest, um, walking us through some of your, your deep thoughts. Um, this has been one of the highlights of the podcast, for sure, um, but also just of... Being able to talk through this with you has been very special. Thank you. Um, So I am going to pray uh, and kind of give this over to to God. Father, you are our shepherd. Um, We lack nothing with you. We are so grateful for this time that we were able to dive into a testimony We are so grateful for the things that came out of this, and we pray that for the third chair that they were able to get something that really sparked in their hearts, something that they can take away and hold on to and to be able to move through this next week um, with something new on their heart to, to follow through. You are the one that guides our paths, but we hope that testimonies of others can help. They can be a guiding light that directs towards your ultimate light. We know that you help guide our lives on a daily basis, and we pray that we can help guide others to you. We thank you for this opportunity um, to reach into ourselves, to be able to become closer to you and what you would have us be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If any of this testimony relates to you, uh, we've spoken about weaknesses, alcoholism, self-harm, anxiety, and drugs. If any of that relates to you or you are feeling lost or stuck or you just need help out of a space that you're stuck in, um, we have things that you can reach out to. Um, We have the Hope Center. We have Temple Recovery. um, We have pastors and, and members that would help pray over you, whatever you may need. Um, you can call uh, Temple Church at 252-633-3330. Uh, you can also reach out uh, by email at templetalk at temple.church. Uh, and we pray that whatever your need is, don't be alone in it. Satan wants you to try and tackle this by yourself. Um, reach out or get in a small group or speak to somebody 
that we could help you with. Otherwise, uh, we thank you so much for sitting with us as we go through a testimony. Um, and we pray that this has benefited you in some way. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. We hope that digging into God's Word together has enriched your perspective and brought encouragement. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to email them at templetalk at temple.church. You can also visit our website at temple.church for more resources. We pray God will continue to bless you and your loved ones as you seek Him in Scripture. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk.